Hey, everyone. If you think your kids are going to college in the next 10 years, we have a very informative podcast. Today on Active and Connected Families, we have Margaret Bolton Bodinet of College Solutions, a full service firm dedicated to helping high school students find the right fit for college. She's going to give us the top three ways that parents can support their kids through the process, which are very important given that college applications bring up a lot of feelings for both kids and parents. And if you are going through the process now, you know what I'm talking about. Margaret has decades of experience with the process and the family dynamics that go into the process, and she is a true expert on this specific but hugely important part of raising children. Honestly, I only have middle schoolers, and I found the interview remarkably useful and informative as I look back on my college application process and also think about what's coming up for my children. Also, if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to last week's episode about making friends as an adult, I just want to let you know that we've had a lot of older adults reach out and say they found it useful. My mom, aunt, and many of her friends have had a lot of transitions in their friend group as they get older, and the strategies we talked about are useful in their communities as well. So you might want to share it with the older adults that you care about in your lives. And as always, if you like this podcast, please let us know by rating us on Apple and Spotify. It's an important piece of keeping this podcast going, so we truly appreciate it. And thank you so much for listening, and thank you, Margaret. Active and Connected Families is a smart, relatable conversation with me, Dr. Amanda Sovic-Johnston, child psychologist, mother of three, and entrepreneur. I've spent my career providing family therapy and supporting high-achieving mothers, and maybe even more hours with my girlfriends trying to figure out how we can all feel more confident in our work and our relationships. And you all, there's one thing I've noticed. We're all struggling in some of the same places, and we're all looking for some down-to-earth advice that we can actually use. So on Active and Connected Families, I'll share some of the insights I've learned, strategies for those daily fights about laundry, some expert perspective on the bigger issues like the mental health crisis, and me chatting with my therapist friends about how we can all feel a little more active and connected in our lives. Throughout, I hope to make you laugh at least once, but I know I'll leave you with something that'll help you become a better parent and maybe even person. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to Active and Connected Families, y'all. Hi, Margaret. How are you? Good morning. I am great. Thank you. Well, good. I'm glad to see you. You and I did like a presentation maybe two weeks ago around helping parents support their kids as they apply to college applications. And I thought you were so useful and knew so much. I wanted to have you to the podcast and just like chat about it a little more. Totally. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about college solutions actually? So yeah, we of course. how you know so much about this process? <laughs> yes, of course. Um, so I started with college solutions, gosh, about 12 years ago. Um, it is a private college counseling firm. Uh, we take students around the world and our job is to help students and their parents find the right fit college. And, and we consider the right fit an academic fit, a social fit, and a financial fit for the family. Um, we work on everything from curriculum planning to summer internship identification, all the way through the college essay process. And so after talking with you, I know that 
you know a ton about high schoolers. The more time you spend with teenagers, the more you realize other people who spend a lot of time with teenagers um, because you seem to get it. So I think that your perspective on how teenagers experience this crazy time and how parents can support them is particularly valuable because the process is so intense from my perspective. It is. It is very intense and it certainly hits hot spots for parents and for students with their anxiety, even with their expectations and, and potentially even stereotypes of certain colleges. Uh, I've just I've seen this process generate a lot of emotion over the past 12 years. And I think there are ways to eliminate or at least reduce that um, just by focusing on some kind of main tenets of support with the teenager. Margaret, my mom and I still discuss angrily a fight that we got in when I was <laughs> applying to college. She, I wrote uh, an application to Emory about, essentially, I knew I was going to be a psychologist then, I guess, because I was talking about nature versus nurture and like a blank wow. slate. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I mean, I'm sure I just like read one line about it and decided to riff on it for, you know, <laughs> 400 words or whatever. So when she edited it, she was like, you cannot turn this in. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm turning it in. And she was like, <laughs> you cannot turn this in. And I was like, that's what you think. And I turned it in for sure. But she, we still like laugh about, about that because I was like, oh no, mom, I'm doing it. And I'm sure everything was misspelled. Everything. <laughs> The editing process of essays is really hard for parents because most of the parents that that we work with are you know very accomplished adults and have high aspirations for their children and when they read you know a 17-year-old's essay they immediately want to insert semicolons and you know conjunctions and I, I can easily spot an essay that a parent has worked on especially families who come from a legal background or an engineering background. Uh, Because those parents usually have a very specific style of writing in their profession, um, you can spot a a child of a lawyer a mile away. Well, wait, okay. Because you've been on the receiving end. You've been an admissions advisor at EPA, right? Yes. I worked at Virginia for about five years um, in the legacy admissions process. So when you get an essay and you're like, oh, I know a parent did this, does it look like everyone had a parent do it? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the percentage of how that plays out and your thoughts on it? I'm sure everyone has a parent look at it, um, but there are some parents who are what we would call heavy handed uh, in the editing process and and kind of rewrite a lot of the stuff for their children. And not only does this make the essay sound like a lawyer or an engineer wrote it, but sometimes it can really affect the student's confidence in the process yeah. of, you know, I wrote this essay, I'm really proud of it. And, you know, College Solutions or somebody read it and they liked it. And then the parent totally rewrites it or restructures it. Um, it really does affect the way the student views themselves as an academic. So you're telling me that I shouldn't like totally write my kids' essays in five years because listen, I'm a psychologist and I'm going to use the word moreover. Like for sure, I will use the word moreover. I always yes. use that word. Oh, moreover and furthermore, I, semicolons and those kind of conjunctions are very, very easy to spot. Teenagers do not say that. So if you got that on an admissions committee, would you be like, oh, like this is clearly a parent's work? Like, what do you, how do you process that on that end? 
It's definitely a ding, as we would call it. Uh, so it's something that the reader would note. You know, typically two different readers read each file. Uh, most readers have about eight minutes with a file, you know, from cover to cover. So transcript, essays, the whole thing. Uh, so that's usually noted. Um, we call it a PC, so parent composition. Um, so it would get flagged as a potential parent composition. Margaret, that is so useful because I think parents feel like we have to be editing these essays. It's our job to edit these essays. This is how we are giving our kids a leg up. But you're actually mm -hmm. saying that when parents edit essays, we're giving them a leg down. Yeah, it's it's clearly a representation that the parents are maybe overcommitted to the process. I usually spot this when parents start weeing their children of like, we are applying to Virginia Tech or we are applying to Christopher Newport. I, I immediately throw up a hand and, and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Most of parents that, you know, that I'm talking to attended college, potentially graduate school. And, you know, we are not applying anywhere. The, the student is applying somewhere, but we are not. So no, do not, do not overly edit a child's essays. In fact, you know, I think it's better to have an outside person edit your child's essays and the parent is a part of the brainstorming process because they have anecdotes that the student may not remember. So I always tell stu students, bring your parents to the brainstorming meeting and then we will let them read the final draft. Uh, and they're welcome to provide feedback to me verbally, but I usually encourage parents, don't even open it on your computer. Like print it, read it in hard copy or just call me and my team and talk to us about it. But don't let your child feel like you don't think they're good enough. It, I, that makes so much sense because it just causes so much conflict. And, and, and the emotions are high for parents and teenagers. Like the emotions were high for me and my mom, for sure. Like she wanted mm -hmm. me to get into a great school. I wanted to just be done. Like I didn't even want to put out the best essay. I just wanted to have it done. And so that I could go do whatever I wanted to do. You know what I mean? And so we both had very, and, and I wanted to individuate, right? Like I wanted to be a person separate from my yes. mom and prove that I could do it on my own. And so these types of emotions just run so high through, I'm sure the essay process in particular. They do. And, and I think a lot of parents, you know, internalize a lot of their anxiety, but then it comes out in kind of the way they treat their child during this process of, you know, maybe the parent applied to a college and they didn't get in and they felt like their essay was subpar. Then that parent is much more likely to kind of integrate themselves into the essay composition process. Um, to which I usually say, like, I'm so thankful for your help, but we're professionals. We've done this, you know, more times than we can count. Just calm down. We got this. And I will let you know when it's done. Um, because otherwise the child starts to feel a little bit like a ping pong ball. Like they don't really know which way to look. Margaret, I love your positive words too, because it is like, in all honesty, like you said, the, the parent is trying to integrate a lot. And ultimately I think you're speaking to parents are doing their best right? They mm -hmm. might be anxious. They might be worried. They want what's best for their kid. Absolutely. And by over integrating, they're actually getting in their kid's way in some instances. But you're right. When you use those words, it's really honoring that the parents are doing it from their best place. They're not trying to be yeah. like overbearing or controlling. They're trying to create a great life for their children. 
Yes. And, and most families consider, you know, a college education an investment uh, yep. and, and there's, you know, a value behind your child going to a college that will help them get a job that they love. I, I think we are all hoping to help our children find an environment in their adult life where they are satisfied on the personal and professional level. So all of this comes back to wanting the best for our children. But I think in how to get there and how to provide that environment for your child um, is really important to think about. Don't just think about, I'm getting my kid into Emory or whatever school. You know, Think about how am I helping my child kind of feel empowered to achieve this goal by themselves. And how to leave the nest, right? Because this is their first real launch. Like, how am I showing my child I support them as they are? And, and I think that they're ready to kind of leave my home and, and go to college. Yeah. Trust is a major factor. Yeah. You want, as a parent, you want to say to your child, you know, I believe in you. You have so much to offer. And I trust you that you are ready to take this step. Even if you don't really believe it, you know, that's why I have a job. Um, but I will say, I think it is worth it for parents to really enforce that with their children, especially as they apply to college of, you know, we have worked as a family to support you and we're ready to help you make this step. Well, I think just on a very basic level, you're not saying you're ready for college and I'm going to write your essay. <laughs> Right. right. Like right. I'm going to write your essay and I think you're ready for college. Like those two things don't go hand in hand. And so it really no. is thinking about that and, and how we show them. Wow. I never Absolutely. thought about that ever until this moment. I guess I don't have high schoolers yet. Mm, get ready. <laughs> oh, well, okay. So tell me your top three ways parents can support kids through this process. Yeah, this is a great question. And, you know, I talk to all different kinds of parents, you know, all over the world. I'm working with a, fi a family from Lebanon right now. You know, I have a family from the Deep South. I have a family on the West Coast. And, and these three things really seem to ring true for all parents that I work with. And, and the first one that I would offer is about authenticity, because Parents feel this pressure to make their children perfect in the college application process. And there's so much talk, especially amongst moms, at least I feel at, you know, soccer games and volleyball games about, oh, you know, what community service is your child doing? Or are they doing research with a the professor? There's so much back and forth. And I, I really encourage parents to tune out the noise. That is the parent chatter and really focus on what your child loves. Um, so if that's video games, okay. You know, I, I always say to families who tell me, oh, my kid plays video games all the time. I immediately go to the aptitudes that empower a student to thrive in the video game world. Mm -hmm. So there's strategic thinking, there's potentially some social interaction with their friends or with people around the world. Um, there are a lot of different aptitudes that come out of video games. Um, so while you want to limit that time, you also want to focus on the authentic aptitudes that your student has and help them grow those aptitudes. So if it is problem solving that video games has helped this child develop, you know, maybe there are other things like Habitat for Humanity, where they could learn how to, you know, solve the problem of holding up a roof and working with the construction person. Um, but I really encourage families not to 
create this prototype of a college applicant that they think is a good kid, but, but really look at your kid, observe your child, be curious about your child and say, why do you like to play Minecraft so much? Like, you know, why is it awesome? Uh, and sometimes they don't want to tell you because they already feel a little conflicted about whether or not the parent likes them playing Minecraft, uh, which is why sometimes it's helpful for a complete stranger, be it the school counselor or me, to say, tell me, like, I love Minecraft. I I still play video games because I hang out with teenagers a lot so I can talk to them. Yep. Uh, but but I think really celebrating and being curious about what your child truly enjoys doing and then helping them build out a resume based on those aptitudes is critical. And I think in general, just in life, by the way, they've done all sorts of research on people that are successful. And it is when we are authentic to ourselves, right? So yes. they do they do research on therapists. And one of the biggest factors is like, is that therapist authentic to themselves in the room? Not necessarily mm-hmm. like revealing all parts of themselves, but are they are they authentic to who they are? I think so. I think teaching our kids that and being okay with who they are, even at a, such an important juncture like applying to college, is just setting them up for letting kids know it's okay to be who they are. Yes, it is acceptable, and you are worthy. Yes, but you know, but let's find other ways where you can show how cool you are. Yeah, that, that's always the way I approach it with students. Of you know, you're really good at Minecraft. I bet you would be really awesome at this Lego club that I found, or you'd be really awesome at going to Habitat for Humanity and learning about how to build roofs or whatever it is. Um, I think really translating aptitudes into other opportunities is the way to do it. And I'm going to be so cheesy, but essentially what you're saying is every kid is special and this is Mm -hmm. an opportunity for parents to really honor who their child is in this conversation. And, and so that to me is beautiful. Like you've really taken this to kind of a psychological lens, Margaret. I don't know if you knew that. (laughs) I I think the, the thing for parents to remember is to not feel forced to create someone who your child is not. Don't do it. I mean, there is a space for every single child in an American college, even international colleges. So celebrate who your child is and know that there is a right fit for them. And I think that if you are a parent and you feel that anxiety because you are going to, right? Like a lot of the, a lot of the parents that we are talking to are high achieving successful parents who are going to want that for their kid on many levels or at least are pleasers themselves. And so if they see a kid who's not doing what they think is quote unquote perfect, it's going to create anxiety for the parent. And it's to the parents, I would say, breathe through that, notice it in yourself, talk to your friends or your partner about it away from your kid, right? It's okay that you have that. It's normal to have that. And you don't, you can take care of that outside of your relationship with your child if possible. Great point. Yes. So what's your number two? So after you've kind of celebrated your child's authenticity, parents should really start to think about what the right fit college is for their child. Because fit is not just about rankings. I always tell families, just because a certain school only admits 9% of the applicant pool does not mean that they are the best college. You know, the best college varies by child. And there are many a smart child that I know that would not thrive in the academic setting at a Duke or a Stanford or any of those fill-in-the-blank schools. So fit is really an approach that you want to 
check in with yourself as a parent because there are certain conceptions that parents have about various colleges when they were applying to college. Uh, for instance, there's a school in North Carolina called Elon mm-hmm. University. And many families, when I bring up Elon, look at me like I am suggesting um, a terrible college to their families. Elon has come a really long way and is actually much more, um, I guess, acclimated to this higher education environment than they were 20 years ago. You know, they do have a terrific education school. They have an incredible study abroad program. Um, and it's a smaller school that promotes, that promotes um, kind of this interdisciplinary collaborative learning environment. Um, so parents kind of have to check those um, thoughts about colleges at the door and really research a college for what it is now and not for what it was when they applied to college. That makes sense. Like we forget, we, I mean, we all think that we're younger than we are. I just turned 42 and I'm like, I'm 28. (laughs) But, but so I think parents need to realize we are, we're 20 to 20 to 30 years out. And as much as we don't want to think that we are, we are. So understanding where the college is now makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah. It's, it's really something that you want to, again, observe your child. Are they someone who likes to talk in class? Are they someone who needs feedback from teachers in order to really thrive? These are things that parents should be observing because if that kind of interactive learning is something that really helps your child, you know, a larger school like Penn State, where, you know, there's barely any interaction with the teachers, professors, um, until you get to upper level classes may not be the right fit for them academically. Even if your whole family went to Penn State, maybe you should consider Dickinson instead. Mm -hmm. Um, So those sorts of things, parents should be very observant in where their child is thriving and why they enjoy that part of academics. What are the other parts of fit? I know you've talked about, yeah, what are the other parts of fit? So academic is first, of course. um, And this includes what majors are offered at a college. You know, many students will say they want to go into business because mom or dad is in business, which is a perfectly reasonable idea. But I always say to students, you know, well, this college doesn't have a business school, but they have these majors. Does that interest you? Yes or no. So academic fit is not just about learning environment. It's about what majors are offered and how does that fit what the student thinks they want. A lot of families will say, my child has no idea. That's fine. I We do aptitude testing on children so that they understand cool. you know, where their true aptitudes lie in the academic sphere. But the first kind of leg on a three-legged stool of fit is academics. Secondly, it then becomes about the social environment because some students really thrive in a place where students are, you know, getting together in big or small scenes, you know, starting on Wednesday night and they want to have that five day weekend. Like, great. You know, some parents have reservations about that. Um, But at the same time, you need to be mindful of how your student interacts socially with their friends. Are they going out to eat? You know, then maybe you want a college town that has some cute local restaurants. You know, are they just going to Target and buying, you know, cool fingernails with their girlfriends? Cool. You know, is there a Target around? Like those kinds of things seem silly, but I have had students transfer for 
very small reasons because they don't feel at home, either with their friends or with what they are accustomed to doing that is fun. Um, So you just want to like, again, be observant of your child and how they're having fun, but then also put them in a setting where they can grow. You don't want them to be too comfortable socially that they don't branch out at all. Um, So visiting these colleges, observing the students who attend colleges, I always go to a college's cafeteria and just kind of people watch. That's one of my ha- my first things I do when I visit a college. That sounds like there- a dream. <laughs> uh, there are schools where the students read during lunch and no one is talking to each other. The cafeteria is silent and everybody is studying. That happens at several colleges around the nation. I thrive there, Margaret. <laughs> but then there are other colleges, you know, where come Wednesday afternoon, there are dudes sitting on the roofs of buildings having fun. Um, all of it is different. And you want to be mindful of where your child's going to thrive socially. The last leg on a three-legged stool of fit is financial fit. And many families will say, oh, Margaret, it's going to be fine. We can pay for this. Okay, great. Um, There are some colleges that are now more than $80,000 a year. And even if you can afford it, I always ask families, should you afford it? You know, what are you telling your child if you're saying, you know, yeah, we're going to spend 350 grand on your education, Um, you know, go for it. Uh, And that's fine if that's your parenting choice. I just, I would love for families to think about what they're telling their children with this investment, um, and then any expectations that they may have, mostly mm-hmm. unspoken, about, yep, yeah, we're going to send you to Northwestern at $82,000 a year. Uh, and most parents are thinking in the back of their minds, you best be grateful. And that mm-hmm. tends to be a, a parent's thought, which I completely understand. Um, but really thinking about the value of a college the expectations that a parent has in paying for that college education. But then finally, the return on investment. Um, There's a very cool study done by the Department of Education that quantifies starting salaries by college divided then by major. So if you say, okay, I'm going to send my kid to Northwestern and they're going to be a philosophy major, which is usually a parent's nightmare, um, which I think is great, by the way, Uh, not the nightmare, but the philosophy piece, Uh, you can actually go to the Department of Education, what they call the scorecard. And the scorecard will show you what last year's Northwestern's graduating class from the philosophy department made in starting salaries. This may be data that you don't want, but it may also be helpful for a student who's considering business schools of like, okay, I've got Mm -hmm. offers from Indiana's business school. I've got offers from Villanova's business school and University of Virginia's business school. Most of those schools have a very similar starting salary. So you'll want to think, okay, if I'm an in-state student in Virginia and I'm paying 27K a year, but my kid's going to start at a starting salary of 112 that may be a better return on investment than if I spend, you know, I think it's 68 a year at Villanova. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is not saying one college is better than another. It's just encouraging families to think about what that value means to them and how that affects their expectations of their child. I love that because I very frequently will also see kids who are having a hard time adjusting, right? And I think adjustment to college is normal 
there is a mental health crisis among college students right now. Across the board, it is well-documented. College students are finally talking about the pressure and stress and anxiety that they feel. And I'm so glad that it's becoming a conversation. And when kids are having a hard time or they make mistakes, it's really hard as a parent to, to sit with that when you're paying $82,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So part of it is also, I think, valuing what you want your child to get out of college. And if money plays a role in those in those values and in those expectations, it's important to acknowledge that from the get-go. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm likely to want my kids to go to a, I want my kids to make mistakes in college. Like I just do. I think they're going to make a ton. I don't think I want to put my own pressure on that. So now I'm just telling you, Margaret, I think I don't want to send my kids to an $82,000 a year school. (laughs) Here we are. Mm -hmm. And, And I tell families, there is a lot of merit aid out there. You know, there are organizations like Coca Cola, you know, that give students, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars a year to go to college. I was a Coke scholar. That's what paid for me to go to college. So I totally get that. So if your child is interested in one of those colleges and that eighty-two thousand dollars, you know, scares you, it would scare me. I have five children. Um, you know, there are merit opportunities, you know, based on how awesome your kid is that would help make that school more um, more of a return on investment. Uh, so don't necessarily poo-poo it if your kid brings it up, but then encourage them to think about what merit scholarships they could be working towards. That makes sense. And it also really, if the kid's willing to work towards those merit scholarships to go to that school, they're going to be willing to work while they're in school. Absolutely. If they want to say, I want to go, like I could imagine me saying, I want to go to Duke. I didn't get in, but I really wanted to go. I thought it was like the best place for me. I think I would have worked for a merit scholarship to go there. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that would have demonstrated to my mom that I could mm-hmm. do it for all four years. But if mm-hmm. I wouldn't have done that, I don't know if it would have been worth spending my spending her mm-hmm. money to do that. I agree. And a lot of families will say to me, Margaret, my kid's never going to get a Coke scholarship. Like, cool. But thank you. There are local scholarships that are, you know, $2,000, $5,000 that are stackable. I mean, so at least in Charlottesville and Richmond, local law firms, local pharmacies all have these scholarships that usually students don't apply for. Um, Typically, they can use their personal statement from their college application. And, you know, $2,500 a year that, you know, renews for four years is not taxed. Sounds great to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, don't necessarily get overwhelmed by the fact that your child's not going to be, you know, a a $30,000 scholarship winner. You can stack four or five scholarships on top of each other um, that may actually be just as well. That's amazing. And what's your last strategy? Last strategy is to foster an environment where your child feels comfortable talking to you, the parent about college. Um, This goes back to the we principle of try really, really hard not to we your child. I I remind families this. Some families will tape it on their laptop of like we with an X through it. Oh, I love that. It's it's a you thing. Um, Most families that really thrive in this process create time and space to talk about college. And that's once a week, usually, sometimes twice a week if it's better for the child. But Once a week where you can sit down with the student, 
and just chat about college of like, hey, did you hear any about any cool colleges this week? Or did your friend get into whatever school they applied to? And parents can also share their ideas about college at that specific time. I find that when parents and students don't create this time every week to talk about college, it kind of becomes this barrage of ideas from parents that overwhelm the student because they'll be making breakfast and the mom says, oh, you know, my tennis partner talked about college Charleston. Have you, have you thought about that? Or, you know, the student comes home and says, I really love the idea of coastal Carolina and, you know, mom doesn't like that. And there's this whole conversation that potentially ends in an uncomfortable situation. I would encourage families to create that time, talk about college, and then shut it down for the rest of the week. And if any ideas come up between that meeting and the next meeting, just keep a note on your phone of like, I want to talk to my kid about taking AP Psych next year. I want to talk to my kid about, you know, going on a college visit during spring break. Um, But only that one time, because then the student really feels safer um, because they don't have to walk in the door not knowing what's going to happen. And I think that absolutely. And if, if we set up those boundaries as parents, then the kids will also set up those boundaries, which is going to allow us to parent better. Because mm-hmm. like what you just said, if someone came home and said, oh, I heard about Coastal Carolina and I'm already grumpy about something else mm-hmm. and I don't, I have some bias against that school, I'm mm-hmm. not going to receive it in the way that I want to. And so by honoring that space and time and setting that structure for our kid, we're really giving it to ourselves to be the kind of parents that we want to be. Absolutely. I'm so cheesy. (laughs) I think all of this too is one day at a time. You know, I think a lot of parents feel pressure from the cocktail party of, hey, where's your child going to college? Oh, well, my kid's at Columbia or my kid's at Wake Forest. I, I encourage parents resist the pressure of the cocktail party. You know, it is the name of the college that your child goes to does not define how awesome they are. Um, If it's the right fit, it's the right fit. And they're going to thrive and be one of the rock stars at that college. So try to resist the cocktail party pressure. Just focus on what's the right fit for your child and how that makes sense for your family. And Margaret, you clearly know so much. How can people find you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our website has a ton of information, uh, webinars, all kinds of free information at collegesolutions.com. Um, and we offer free introductory meetings with all of our counselors. So if you just want to learn about, you know, how does this work and do I even like these folks, you can sit down with us for an hour and just talk. Um, we love that stuff. That's probably our favorite part of the day. Um, and you can sign up right on the website. And what about your LinkedIn is great. So can you talk about your LinkedIn? Because I love your LinkedIn. I feel like it is such a, it's, you know, I think helicopter parenting is absolutely a thing. And and the content that you're putting out on your LinkedIn is giving parents practical strategies in many ways to to not helicopter parent, which I think is useful. So what what is your LinkedIn? Yeah. So for LinkedIn, you can also find us at College Solutions. We try very um, diligently to put out um, helpful, easy to read material um, that parents can just, you know, read on their lunch break and be like, cool, I'm going to try that tonight. Um, So feel free to to use our resources on LinkedIn. Um, All of the College Solutions work is there. And even my LinkedIn for Margaret Bodinet, I share most of our professional stuff as well. Yeah, it's one of the best LinkedIn's I I follow for sure. Thanks. Oh, it's really true. Is there anything else you think is useful 
to share with anyone? Any other thoughts? Yeah, I think for parents, uh, they always ask me when they should start thinking about college for their child. Um, You know, any college that you talk to says that the college application process starts as soon as the child walks out of eighth grade. I would not freak out about that. Like, don't tell your eighth grader that they need to start thinking about college. I really try to resist the the pressure. Um, But, you know, end of ninth grade, early 10th grade, Maybe take them to visit a college, you know, that you think they may like, but no pressure if they don't like it, right? Um, But kind of ease them into this process starting in 10th grade. And again, be open to their feedback. If the child hates your alma mater, cool. You know, they are a different person than you. Um, But don't don't should them of you should like blank school. There Mm -hmm. there is no should. Um, So introduction and the end of ninth, early 10th grade and, and resist the should comments as well. Well, I love this. Thank you so much. Everyone go to Margaret's LinkedIn at College Solutions and you'll probably find her website there too. But thank you so much for listening, everyone. Thanks so much, y'all. If you found this podcast helpful, go ahead and subscribe and share. And more importantly, if you think you or someone you love would benefit from collaborative therapy, psychological assessment, or psychiatry services, you can find out more about our practice at Active and Connected Family Therapy, www.activeconnected.com. Again, that's www.activeconnected.com. Thanks so much for listening.